as I've been thinking and praying about the new year, I've become aware of blind spots. It's something that every single person, if they're honest, has. And I've been praying, and I invite you to pray with me that the blind spots be removed. And what I'm talking about is not blind spots as for how we see the world, how we perceive the world, what is going on in our relationships. We think about that stuff enough. What I'm talking about is blind spots regarding God himself and Christ, the living, real Christ who is with us in real time. Let us pray. Lord, remove the blind spots. We honor you and praise your holy name because in your mercy, our blind spots are different. And when we come together, we have a more perfect idea of who you are. But we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us this morning and illuminate the parts of our perceptions that have become dark. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. The word did keep coming up. It was blind and blinded. I was journaling and the word popped up several times about how blinded humanity is by our woundedness, by our lingering doubts, by our misconceptions, blinded by the stress of being in the world, blinded by listening to voices that are not God. And Jesus Christ cut through all of this. He is light, he is sight, and the challenge is to let him in to be open to revelation about who he is. Our somewhat blinded selves see only what we want to see. That is precisely what it means to be human. That is human nature. And we often accept worldly misperceptions. You know, it's been over a decade since my brother and his family came to Maryland. And they showed up the day after Christmas and we had a wonderful time. And my sister-in-law said, I cannot wait until we sit in the bay window in your kitchen and look outside to the meadow to the animals because Dr. Cook, the veterinarian, has a pasture right there. And I said, yes, I can't wait either. And so they show up. We go and have coffee in the bay window. And Steve says, you can't see anything. The trees have all grown up and completely taken away the view. I tell you this because this is blindness on top of blindness. The fact that I didn't realize that I couldn't see the pasture anymore from my table because my life, I don't really sit there anymore and, and drink coffee. And then the fact that when we do sit there, we can't see anything. It's there. It's real, the pasture is still there, but we can't see anything. Blindness by the conditions of life. And this leads to us understanding that there is a spiritual blindness. And think about the Jesus you met when you first gave him your heart. And I'm asking you, has life overshadowed that initial memory? If we have clouded memories of our starting point, we might be missing further revelations as well. He gives us as much of who he is as we can handle 
But in his mercy, he is giving us information if we are paying attention. John, the gospel of John, reveals him to us. It forces us away from trite ideas about who he is. Some have unintentionally stopped letting him in and have maintained childish, not childlike, because as the epistle lesson we just read says, being childlike is an asset, but childish ideas. There is one simple idea about Christ, though, that we need to have upon which all other revelations hang and develop. There was a famous theologian, and I've heard that it was Karl Barth, who was asked what he knew about Christ after his theological journey of biblical study that had taken place for decades, and what he had to say was, this is what I know to be true. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Christ's presence is love. Make no mistake about it. Christ loved us to such an extent that he took on the form of humanity. God became a human being. John 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, meaning that Christ created the world. The world, though, did not recognize him, and it still does not recognize him. Blinded. The world was blinded. We could not see the gift of love that was given to us. God sent his son, became Christ for one reason, and that is to love us into eternity. But it's a love that we've got to receive. The world doesn't know or understand it. So its existence is frequently denied. The love is overpowering, immense, and beyond human description. If you've ever felt it full force, you know that. When the love of Christ comes into us full force, our guts turn to jelly, and we are slain in the spirit. The force of God's love is too big to measure. It's beyond human description, and we're blinded to it. We have to receive it, but we need the help, the help of the Holy Spirit, or it's almost impossible to take it in. When we went and continue to go, I hope, to Kenya and drive through the villages, there are sights and sounds and people and colors and horizons that we've never seen. And you would think that this overwhelming beauty and interesting thing would that we would sit there and absorb it, and we do to some extent. But what I've noticed is that we can be driving through a town and see scenery right out of National Geographic. And I remember once we were going through something spectacular, but we were too busy talking about the church flower chart to notice what was going on. I never talk about the church flower chart, but we were immersed in talking about, do people know where it is? Do people know how to sign up? While we were driving through the spectacular scenery, and it's because the real panoramic view, the reality of where we were was almost too much. 
So we needed to sink into the familiar and possibly the mundane. We need the world as we know it. We like routine and it has a purpose. That's why we have traditional worship. We need the familiar, some semblance of control. And Jesus says, abandon, give up, let go, pick up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, do whatever you want, and I will bless it. If not literally pick up the cross and follow him, and it's taken me years to learn this, then willingness to take up the cross and follow him. I mean, there is a strong possibility that you are at this moment where you're supposed to be. But there needs to be something in our hearts that says, I will give everything for him. And if he says, follow, I will follow. It is no secret that if we choose to throw in with Christ, follow Christ, believe in Christ, he will begin to transform us. That's one of his promises. Whatever binds us to the world, he will lovingly, out of love, release us from these things. If we have pride about money management, he might ask us to give in extravagant ways. If we overvalue, rely on the good opinion and approval of other people, he will draw us to him so that we crave his approval above all others. If we are proud of certain capabilities, he will allow us, sometimes force us, to gain perspective on who it is that gives us the gifts that we have. Christ came into the world to love us with a dynamic, all-encompassing love. And there's no such thing as partial or diluted love of Christ. That's what people fail to understand, that he does not dilute or segment himself off. That's what we do. It's the full force of God, everything that God is, that came in Jesus Christ. People don't want to love because it sounds too simple, too good to be true, or they find it restrictive, exhausting, and if we believe that Christ is judgmental or obsessed with perfection, we can get the wrong idea about what his love really is. But our hearts crave the real Jesus Christ and his glory, and this is the reason, this is what we cling to. That truth that if people really knew who he was, they would want him. And that the truth is, is that there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human being. And we crave the true, the real Jesus Christ and his glory. We have seen his glory, the passage says. Jesus' glory seeps out, escapes his presence in the world. We're probably blinded to most of it, but God's glory is in the little or the huge reveals those special moments when the veil is parted and we know behind this and in this all is Christ, is God. Have you ever been, and this is just one little example of the glory of God, but have you ever been compelled to go somewhere for a reason you didn't know and then when you got there you discovered with amazement I have known God's glory so many times in Target, I can't tell you. 
where I felt compelled to go there, run into someone that I needed to talk to. Amazing conversations have taken place, and the glory of God has been revealed in the aisles of Target. We have seen his glory, the scripture says, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The world, as we know, embraces drama and chaos and disaster. And when it, the drama, chaos, and disaster happened, our world makes certain that everyone knows all the details until the next disastrous news cycle. Glory, the glory of God, opens us up to look upward, away from all this worldly stuff, to go inward, to praise. The glory is present in Jesus Christ and he did not leave. He is right here if we want him. For those not blinded, verse 16 says, from the fullness of grace, we have received one blessing after another. Hidden in the trapping of the season just past is the greatest fullness of grace, the blessing of the baby Jesus. We talk of grace a lot because we must it's the most unworldly belief to absorb the unearned, unmerited favor of God. We know when people have internalized grace because no longer is there a consuming concern about being right or righteous. We'll never be right or righteous, not completely. We have our moments when we do pretty well, but this is a corrupt world. But God, through the grace of Christ, will give it to us righteousness and we continue to sin and be who we are but the righteousness holds trying and intention really are worth something and we need to try this isn't a blank check to do whatever we want to do but we we have honorable attentions but when we miss the mark this is the important thing to know god covers it grace is the hidden part of our name christ our king it's Christ, our King of grace. But this passage expands grace to the fullness of grace because there's nothing partial or incomplete about this grace. It is total full grace, not just a taste of it, and it is full glory. In this passage, we've been given truth about Christ. Scripture, especially the Gospel of John, doesn't lend itself to nice little outlines or memory devices. But I did notice something. God, Jesus Christ is God. Glory, his glory connects us with heaven and with eternity and with God. Grace, his grace is sufficient. It does for us what we cannot do for ourselves God and glory and grace. Christ, the act of God's love. Let us pray. Help us to see the real you and to shed the misconceptions of who you are that keep us trapped and confused. We know when we have received the truth about who you are when our hearts expand and our love increases 
in ways that does not make sense to the world. We thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus. Amen.